0: Do you want us to keep producing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there? If so, there's a way you can help. If you enjoy this show, please consider donating to help us pay for the cost of making it available. You can do so by using the PayPal link in the description of the podcast or on social media sites where we post it. Even a small donation would help. Thanks in advance, and Go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special in-season bonus episode, host George Templeton looks at the state of the program and interviews experts about all things VCU basketball. And now, here's George.
1: All right, we're back here with another special episode of Rams Rewind to get us through this long break between VCU games over Christmas. And we hope you've enjoyed our other special episodes that we've had as, uh, to get you through the longer breaks as we've gotten through uh, to, the, to, to the tail end of the non-conference season and through finals and all that. And joining us is a, a friend of this podcast that we're very happy to have back on. And if you listened to when he was on before in the preseason and we were talking about BC's non-conference schedule, he warned everybody about McNeese State and how good McNeese State would be. East State came into the Siegel Center and won and beat VCU on opening night, surprising everybody as a double digit underdog. Uh, He is with Bracket. He has his own website, bracketeer.org. He is a consultant for teams trying to put together their non conference schedules, in part to try to figure out the net, which we'll dive into the problems the net has in just a moment. He is Rocco Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at RoccoMiller8. Thank you for joining us again on Rams Rewind. Welcome back, Rocco.
2: Hey, it's great to be back on with you, and appreciate the kind words. Uh, you know, it's it's been uh, crazy to digest here just recently uh, during this holiday break that we're on, a couple days of no games, and seven weeks of action already behind us, and I think it's just, um, you know, it's a good opportunity to kind of look back, see what we've what we learned about a bunch of these teams and what it really means. Uh, It's just, it's been one of the more interesting starts of the year and kind of unparalleled to any other year based on the fact that just a week and a half ago, several programs were impacted by a court ruling that suddenly allowed really important players to be eligible. And uh, you know, it really kind of changes the trajectory of so many teams, even if they have, they, they could be four and eight right now. They could be 10 and two right now. And we really have to keep hitting the reset button over and over again with these rosters. It's not affecting every single league, but most leagues are affected at some level. And, um, you know, I think the Atlantic 10 in general has been uh, a, a, a definitely an improvement, as you guys all know. Uh, I'd love to see the middle. All ascending, uh, if you took the weighted average of the middle of the A-10, probably up about 10-15 spots, at least from a year ago uh, in general. And that can mean really good things for the league, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, But I'm excited here as we approach January. I always release my first forecast that second week, so to get just another week and a half more Really important uh, data uh, as we have some big games this weekend and next week with league play beginning. Um, So a really good time for us to connect, and thanks again for having me on.
1: Well, and that's the reason we wanted you to have on, and that I planned this a few weeks back because in terms of the non-conference folks, the picture is almost completely colored in. Everybody in the A-10 has got one non-conference game left. One team's playing Friday, the rest of them are playing Saturday, and then we're into conference play. And he gave you a little preview of, of how we think, or how he thinks the A is doing. We're going to get deeper into that, but before we do that, I'm going to have to uh, rant a little bit and get the reaction of Rocco Miller to this because, in preparation for this episode, I'm looking through, you know, VCU's opponents and their and their net rankings and all that, and the net, of course, is the NCAA's evaluation tool, their main one that they use and give to the committee to help select. And seed the 64 68 teams that are in the NCAA tournament. And yes, part of my frustration is that VCU had this team not cold, but they were in a winning position against the team I'm about to talk about down in Orlando at the tournament that I was at, and they didn't win, and it was infuriating that they lost. But I Rocco Miller, there can't be anybody outside of Ames, Iowa or or whoever puts together this formula that can really believe that Iowa State is the fifth best team in the country, which is what the NET says right now. They don't have a quad one win there own two. I am presuming that those two quad one games are the two that they've lost in Orlando to Virginia Tech and to uh, Texas A&M. They do have two quad two wins. I think one of those is Iowa on the road who they spank admittedly. And then I think VCU actually might qualify as a quad two win because that's a neutral site. They played a quad three game. They're 8-0 no against quad four. And, yes, they've beaten the snot out teams, and I know margin of victory matters. But surely this system is broken if Iowa can play as bad a schedule as they have, except for Orlando, and except for the game against Iowa that they always play. This system's broken if that team can be evaluated and look at that good because people are going to see this in other big conferences and do exactly the same thing, and that's my biggest fear.
2: Well, you know, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news on that front, George. I think, you know, this has been going on for a few years, and there has been some copycats. And you you can quickly figure out who they are if you do the deep dives into each power league. Um, Some of these schools, you know, both the Iowa schools themselves have been doing this for a good three, four years in a row, where effectively when you're buying your quad four games, you're just looking for wins. Um, You load up as many as you can in terms of who's projected to be the lowest team in, in the country. So that starts with teams like Lindenwood, Eastern Mm -hmm. Illinois, Florida, a and M grambling. Um, they bought all those teams to come to, to Ames, And, um, you know, so if you're the head coach at Iowa state, it makes all the sense in the world to do that, uh, for a lot of the reasons you just stated, but I do think there are some important, just, uh, net one-on-one things to keep in mind. Uh, the, the, the point of the net is to give the selection committee a tool to sort, results by so it is always going to be more important what your opponent's net is than your own net and so the fact that they are number five can actually benefit vcu as funny as that sounds i I know it was a painful game game. right yeah and, and you know even if iowa state loses 10 to 15 games this year which is very possible um really good chance it stays in quad one it might be really hard for them to fall out of the top 50 uh which is what it would take to to drop out of quad one so uh, just that one little example, I think the other thing to caution on the net as well, you know, and I, I've said a few things about it over time, um, is it is meant to evolve throughout the season. Uh, the problem is when you're looking at a Big 12 team, Big 12 pretty much undisputably the best league in the country, um, mm. they're going to be playing – top 100, top 50, top 25 teams the rest of the way. Um, so even if they lose more than their fair share of those games, it's going to continue to hold them up unless they're getting beat by the uh, the types of margins that they were beating bad teams by. So assuming that Iowa State's good enough to at least hang with uh, the rest of their league, at least in terms of final scores, um, you would have to imagine that they're going to remain in the top 50, even if they have a poor record in the league. Um, So that is, to me, some of the issue. Um, Now, the the selection committee is equipped with several tools to make not only decisions for the best 36 at-large teams, which are the most important decisions, in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. also uh, the secondary decisions, which are how do you seed the teams. Um, So a lot of that actually matters more for seeding. I think when it comes to selecting a team, a, a team like Iowa State, if they don't have a good conference record, They'll be scrutinized to death, uh, regardless of what their net is. And that's why your opponent's net is always more important. So, just looking at, again, we're seven weeks in. The data is really immature, in my opinion, because Iowa State's going to play 18 games against the Big 12 still. And that's going to really shape their resume. Um, But they have a 94th ranked KPI, which is on the selection team, uh, on the selection committee's team sheet, and a 56th ranked KPI. Uh, strength of record so neither of those really cut it when it comes to selecting the best 36 so even as a bracket forecaster today he, as, at a number 5 net you would think human nature they would get selected uh, and they would never be in this situation if the season ended um, mm-hmm. which is exactly why I don't like putting out brackets in December it just doesn't yeah. it's so immature right now um, but uh, the, the, the for the reasons I just said uh, there there could be an argument in the room to say, listen, their resume is not there. They don't have a quad one win. They don't even have a top quad two win. Both Iowa and VCU wins are falling in the bottom half of quad two, which mm-hmm. we call quad two B. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a strong argument right now that Iowa State would not belong in.
1: Well, and, and my hope is, is that if they go 7-11 or 8-10, that somehow – they don't get put in like we see so often. And, and I'm just going to point this out because there are there are current and net leader in the A-10, and it's Dayton. And I just don't understand how Dayton can play that schedule that they've played where their only losses were at Northwestern, Houston on a neutral floor in the championship of the Charleston Classic, and they're 22, which is great. And I'm happy that they're 22. Uh, you know, they wanted SMU as well. And, yeah, they've, they've got some bye games too, but they've actually got some bye games against teams that might actually turn out to be good. They play Grambling State as well as, as Iowa State did, and Grambling State may very well win the swat. But it's just – I'd love for somebody in that room to, to explain to me or somebody in the NCAA to explain to me how Iowa State's 17 spots better than Dayton because that doesn't make any sense. In the top 20 of the net, there's only two teams that don't have a quad win, one win. Iowa State's one of them. I think the other one's the other one. I think is Oklahoma. I think right. it's Oklahoma. Yeah, it's Oklahoma at twenty. They don't have a quad one win either. And so this is where you talked about how they're going to play the Big Twelve on all these top hundred teams. They're all gaming the system in that league, and it's it just gets on my nerves.
2: Hey, and th- this is where I'm a hundred percent behind you, George. I think I think that's big. One of the biggest issues with it is you know somewhere along the way, uh, I think it was two years ago. Um, again, I'll. I'll confirm that with David Warlock who runs the NCAA tournament. But um, my understanding is that because of the uh, the fact that you have a component of adjusted offensive efficiency, it factors in every possession of every game. So if, if Dayton's playing Grambling or if Iowa State's playing Grambling, whatever the case may be, and you've, and you've got five minutes to go, the game's well in hand, maybe even 10 minutes to go. All those final minutes that we all think of as observers, as garbage time, they're being calculated into that formula on top of the scoring margin, uh, which was supposed to be capped at 10 in the past. I believe two years ago that, that cap got removed. And in general, that's going to benefit the Power League teams because they're more, much more athletic, much more capable, much more deep, talented uh, to win by 40 plus. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a, that's a huge issue because you're right. If, if you have committee members going on the air, which we've seen the last few years and all they, all they can really point to when they're being interviewed is how many quad one wins at team X has versus team B that only had maybe two or three quad one Jesus. total opportunities. Yeah. It's 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 an impossible comparison and it's an impossible thing to argue against. Um Now, you, you, not, not to be too conspiratorial, don't want to do that at all. Uh, but I do but I do think the NCAA's most prized possession, uh, I think this is undisputable, is the NCAA tournament and having its best brands, its best assets, the most viewers possible, even though there are record number of viewers every year no matter who's in the tournament, uh, is is kind of always, beneficial to them so if they are going to tweak the net or anything it's going to only be to benefit some of those power teams that's where i really reason with the non-power side of college basketball there is such great basketball to be played in all 32 leagues of course they're different levels but this is why the sport is, can be so great is you you have great coaches in a lot of cases better coaches at the lower levels than at the higher levels um, you have so many different strategic things you can do, whether it's zone defenses, man defenses, half-court trap, full-court trap, five-out offense. The list goes on and on and on that you're allowed to do in college. And it, there needs to be more of an open door uh, to allow these teams that win at a high high rate. You win 25 out of your 31 games. You need to be stronger considered uh, for a bid. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate if, it, if a league like the A-10 last year only gets one team when there's so much – investment by the league to be successful in basketball. Uh, And, you know, that's where I start to get really frustrated. And that's that's why I do take a hand in scheduling Mm -hmm. out of of the guardrails that college basketball is provided with. I want to do everything in my possible power to uh, educate teams, educate coaches, connect coaches, knowing that, you know, if nobody's going to play Liberty, Furman, Grand Canyon, or Drake, let's get you all four together and play each other in a round robin. That way, whoever is the best of those four will at least get in. So, those are some of the things we're working on for the future.
1: Yeah. Uh, and the last point I'm going to make, because I probably spent way too much time talking about this, I miss the RPI, and Iowa State's 137 in the RPI. And just so we, for equal time, VCU's 146. And maybe both of those are harsh. I could live with that a lot more than I can live with what we've got right now. Now, having done all that, let's drill down on the A10. As a whole, uh, the A10 as a whole's got four quad one wins. Dayton's got two. Saint St. has got two. They're six and ten in quad two, and that's four quad wins out of twenty-seven opportunities, which strikes me as a higher, number, much higher number than what they had last year. Uh, they're six and ten in quad two, which is not bad. Thirty-six and twenty-one in quad three. They have six quad four losses. The good news on that is that four of them are between Fordham and Rhode Island, who are probably going to be in the pillow fight. So they're going to drag the league down a little bit, but maybe not that much. VCU unfortunately has a quad four loss, so does St. Joe's. As a whole, the league, in my opinion, exceeded expectations. The thing that I saw is they were eighth in Ken Palm in Ken Palm's. I haven't seen any conference ratings like how the net ranks conferences, but this feels like it's been a very, it's been a pretty good, maybe slightly disappointing, but pretty good non-conference for, for the Atlantic Ten. What are your thoughts on how the A10 has performed as a whole?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. as a As a whole, it's been really encouraging just to see. You know, I, I had teams in the preseason that I really didn't know where to place them, like a Richmond who is sitting at ninety nine in the net right now. Uh, certainly, a, one really easy example for me to look at and say that's a team that's better than I gave them credit for. And Credit, credit to coach, coach Mooney in that program. You have George Mason uh, right there in the quad run range if you play them on the road at 72 under first-year coach Tony Skin. I think they've been one of the best-kept secrets in the country, uh, just playing phenomenally well, going down and winning at Tulane just last week. That was really important for the league, I thought. Um, and even getting programs like George Washington, even if their schedule was a little bit easier to navigate, They still have to go out and beat teams that are at the D1 level. They've done that. Uh, Even though they're 135 in net, they're still 9-2. You know, the overall win percentage of the league is is pretty excellent. You know, everybody except for Fordham and Rhode Island at 500 or higher. And then, you know, St. Louis, who's buried at 215, just got a key player back thanks to the court ruling. So they could even finish much, much higher than 12th, I think, uh, if they keep everybody together going forward. Obviously, they had a tough injury. Uh, to Pierce when I was out and saw them in Solomon Myrtle Beach, but um no, I sincere think
1: Parker or that was brutal because
2: yeah, Parker. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah,
1: sincere Parker that was a killer.
2: Yep, yeah. So sincere Parker going down that hurt them a lot, but with the new piece coming in, they definitely look better in the last couple performances, beating a very good Law Tech team. Uh, so in general, you know, you got eight teams in the top 100. You got another couple that are close with Davidson and George Washington just on the outside looking in. And then you have the three outliers in the 200s. That's St. Louis, Fordham, and Rhode Island. I don't know if Rhode Island's ever going to make it back in. They they kind of seem to be slipping off big time the last few weeks. But I saw Fordham beat North Texas at the buzzer in person. And, you know, that's a scrappy team. I I can't see Coach Ergo uh, losing his competitive fire. Every single one of the – the problem for Fordham has been, you know, they lose to Central Connecticut at home. They lose to NJIT at home. Those both come down to the wire – they play down to the level of their competition, but when they play the big dogs, uh, they, they rise up for that for the most part. So uh, they just got to cut down on their turnovers. They just get way too sloppy with it. Uh, but I think in general, the A-10 super encouraging. UMass has a ton of upside. We, we've hit on St. Joe's. You hit on Dayton. VCU's got a ton of upside as well. And Duquesne's a really nice team too. So I think between all those, we've talked about nearly everybody except Loyola Chicago, who I'm still kind of waiting to see which way they go.
1: Okay, the one thing I want to focus on now, that is that is the thing that maybe has kept this from being the best, one of the best non-conference performances by this conference for a while. The quad one near misses, and my God, there are so many of them. Princeton for Duquesne was a was a quad one near miss. I think in let me see here, NC State. I was looking to see if NC State would qualify as that, but that was a that was a near miss on the road. For uh, for for St. Louis, they, you know they were right in that game. I think that was, and I think that was on the road because if it was, was. yes, yeah, one. That was a quad one near miss. Dayton at Northwestern is a quad one near miss, and of course VCU against Iowa State, a quad one near miss.
2: And you had uh, St. Joe's at Kentucky in, uh, in, in overtime. Kentucky State,
1: you know, I was I was blanking, yeah. but yes, that's it too. And it just yeah. they are they only have four of them. But they could there are about two or three or four bounces of the balls in each of those games away from having seven or eight. Is that, so, is that something that, that the committee looks at in terms of the conference as a whole, if they're looking at the conference, the fact that so many of these teams have been so close to some really major wins, many of them on the road, some of them on neutral sites.
2: It it somewhat it somewhat matters because I think if you're a bubble team in the end, you're going to be scrutinized more than any other level of the selection process. So when you get down to those last four or six bids to get in, everything's broken down into you know micro sections. Uh, the way I I prefer to break it down is based on some committee members I've talked to over the years, where I look at the top two A quad. So if you're just missing quad one or they fall in and out of quad 1. I try not to focus on uh, just one particular quad. If if it's in the top 2A, that's still a good win. The the thing they really care about is if it's a tourna- if it ends up being a tournament team, you know, did you beat a tournament team? So like if Princeton's a tournament team, St. Joe's has that. They have it with probably Villanova also. Um, with Dayton being a potential top 25 team where they are now in the net, that gives everybody else in the league a chance at a bite at the apple especially when they play at Dayton. And if they stay that high, even the home game against Dayton could be a big bite of the apple. Uh, the, the, the problem mathematically with that is if somebody gets a bite early or a couple teams get a bite early, they'll fall out of that position uh, because they'll slip themselves. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a long, you know, 10-week dance that we're about to embark on. Uh, but I think what really matters in the end is how did you do on the road how did you do on neutral court games? Uh, if you've done a lot of damage there, you will usually stand out against the power conference teams because you'll see teams like the eighth place, big 10 team or the eighth place sec team, maybe only have one or two road game uh, road wins. And that sticks out like a sore thought. It, it's like Rutgers really struggled in that area last year. We saw Rutgers did not get in. They took a Nevada team over them, you know, Nevada, a team from the mountain west a team from the a10 a team from the american or a team from the wcc are kind of all trying to get into the tournament from the same position and that's accumulating road wins and making sure they're quality road wins in the top two quadrants even if a handful of those are nit level teams at a certain point you know if you go if you go let's say 5 and 2 in those games or 7 and 4 in those games have a nice win percentage it's going to be so much easier for the committee to select you than a eighth place Big Ten team that went two and eight in the same uh, types of games, even if their ten games were a, against a little bit tougher competition.
1: I want to I'm going to focus on one team real quick before we get to VCU and and their chances and their situation as well, and that's Saint Joseph's, uh, who was a team that I I was a fan of and thought that they would have a really good season. Looking at their non-conference performance, yes, the loss to Texas A&M Commerce is is absolutely horrendous. Uh, but they followed that by being one missed free throw away from winning at Kentucky in regulation, and then beating Villanova on at Villanova to win to on the way to winning the Big Five Classic. What does, how much margin for error does St. Joe's have? I know there's 62 in the net and i know that as you said that's not as important as their opponent's net but does st. joe's have a have a bit of a margin for error for getting in this tournament you know if they say go 12 and 6 13 and 5 14 and 4 i know that depends on who they lose to obviously but yeah. I, I really think that that's a team that that could be a chance for an at large and maybe that were a chance for a three
2: bid league as a result yeah i agree just going into the league they've they've done the most damage coming in uh, they've got that interesting resume with the loss to Commerce, but also the win at Villanova. So, just on the surface, they'll be the biggest Villanova fans the rest of the year, even if they don't like them. Because <laughs> the the higher Villanova climbs, the better uh, that win's going to help. Uh, but in general, you know, just really specific about St. Joe's. Unfortunately for them, they don't have a road game at Dayton, so that's another missed opportunity to get a bite mm-hmm. of that Big Apple. They do get Dayton at home early February. So imperative that they, they can beat them, uh, assuming that Dayton is a team later on that's safely in as it appears they could be today. Um, but they do get some other good road opportunities that can impress the committee. I think the games uh, that you know on paper today are at Bonaventure, at Duquesne and at VCU, mm-hmm. and even at Richmond, those are all top 100 games on the road. If they go three and one in those four, that could give them the margin for error that you're looking for. Okay. I think if it, I think if selection happened today, they'd, you know, the numbers say at least on the metrics end of things that they would be slightly out. Um, their resume, as funny as this sounds, check this out: their resume score is about equal to Iowa State. It's actually a little better than Iowa State, but it's uh, they're both scoring just outside in like an NIT level. Mm. Uh, but that means they're just one or two. Not even big wins away, just really solid wins away, especially a a road win. So um, I I think the pressure will be on them, though, because the majority of your Atlantic 10 games are still, you know, they're going to do more harm than good, you Mm -hmm. know, in terms of going in. So uh, it it won't be easy, but the the path is certainly there.
1: All right, let's look at VCU. We know the problems of the schedule that they have. They, they you know didn't have a road game. They've had a couple of really tough home losses, one of them a quad four to Norfolk State. Granted, Norfolk State has got to be the favorite in the MEAC today. So, And I think looking at their schedule, you're looking at four, maybe even five teams that could end up winning an auto bid out of their conferences. The McNeese State loss hurts not because McNeese State's bad. It turns out McNeese State's really good, like you said they would be, and that would have been a quad two win – and that would have been very helpful. The thing that I'm hanging my hat on with VCU is that, A, now that they have Bamasil and Baristow, which they didn't have for almost the entire non-conference schedule, the committee, I think, is still supposed to wait that a little bit. Maybe it's changed now, but it used to be in the old days. If you, if, if you missed guys for, for an extended amount of time and then got them back and they were definitely playing in the tournament – then that would be considered those games with those guys more than the others. The other thing, too, is they might be looking at a bevy, of quad one and quad two games. You already talked about Dayton and George Mason. Uh, UMass is a potential quad one game as now. You mentioned that. Davidson on the road could be a quad two. St. Joe's could be a quad two. At UR could be a quad two. So they've got way more opportunity for, what, for the type of wins that you've been talking about than they certainly had last year. And certainly the year before. So those are the two things I'm hanging my hat on with VCU. Just assess their non-conference performance first and then what you think about what they've got to do in conference play to, to maybe get the committee's attention.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, VCU coming into this year with Ryan Odom and putting some of the pieces together and dealing with the the Baristow injury and, and some other, you know, personnel issues throughout the first two months hasn't made it easier, but I've been encouraged by the def- the level of defense. You know, they're a top 25 effective field goal percentage defensive team, uh, a top 70 defense. That's, I mean, playing a little bit better defense than I could have expected here in year one. and mm-hmm. um, and Utah state was just such a bevy of offense uh, that came on strong last year and buried teams offensively. They haven't really hit clicked into full gear yet on that side of things. So, to have the defense established this early in the year could be a really good sign for uh, what's to come in March because defense always travels, and uh, you know on the way to March, hopefully for VCU's sake, you can pick off some of those road wins like your Bonaventures, uh, your Davidsons, and uh, you know teams like UMass on the way. Get a couple of those in there, you start maybe making things interesting once again. Clearly today they're not they're not really on the radar just based on the fact. Yeah. There's no wins above the, the top three quad, quads right now, or sorry, the, they do have a couple quad threes, but nothing in the top two quads. Uh, but I think for VCU's sake, you're, you're playing in a first year under a new head coach. The idea is to get better month after month after month. I can clearly see that coming together here. Um, and you're right, because the A10 has improved as a whole. There are a handful of meaningful, a handful more of meaningful opportunities throughout league play. To ask them to go out and go like eighteen and two or you know seventeen and three is probably unrealistic. Uh, but if they if they hit their hot streaks at the right time and knock off four or five top one hundred teams in one stretch, like the last five games of the year against top one hundred teams as it stands today, four four of those mm-hmm. five are um, that'd be a, an amazing time to get hot and maybe make things interesting. The the
1: thing the and here's
2: the other question because I remember in Mike Rhodes' second
1: year. We had a non-conference schedule that was on paper didn't look great. And in the end, we played five teams in non-conference play that either shared their regular season title, won their regular season title, or won their conference tournament. And in my opinion, it pushed their seed up. Uh, They ended up a nine seed, even though they lost their first conference tournament game, where I think in other years they might have been a 10 or 11. And so I asked that question. McNeese State, Sanford, Radford, uh, Norfolk State, Memphis – are all teams that I think are either going to win their team's regular seasons or get very close and can win their team's tournament. Does that matter? If these teams have that kind of postseason success, does the fact that VCU played all of them and beat most of them, would that, would that help them uh, in terms of a case?
2: It can. It's never guaranteed, but it, it is part of the information outlined to the committee. So – if you if it's a situation where the comparisons razor thin, and and again, the the committee is going to group eight teams together during the voting process. So again, mm-hmm. this isn't a selection question; it's more of a seating question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to help a team necessarily get selected, unless again, it could be down to the last two teams, and that that is something that pushes it over the edge. But one of the things that shows up is record against the field, and they will include you know, as many of those teams that end up in the field as part of that record. So just depending on each individual community member, how they digest that it's a, it's a, it can, it can can only help. It can't hurt you. Um, So it's definitely not a bad thing at all. um, And it can be a great thing. Um, But I I do think it really just comes down to how close those margins are. And in terms of the process, um, because we do a mock selection every year, I'm, I'm a part of two of them, actually, so I, just going through that exercise, I can tell you um, they'll usually give us around that part of the seeding. Um, in, in your VCU example of a nine seed, you, you would get a group of eight teams and rank them one through eight, mm-hmm. and all 12 members will do that. So if it just comes out to where you know it was enough to sway them to be in the top four on average across all 12 ballots, they will end up on that next seed lineup you know, based on that vote. I know we're not we really can't predict the future here and you
1: don't want to, and, and you don't even pick a bracket for another couple weeks and all that, but this is my final question. Can the A ten get two or even three bids? Is is if if things break their way and that means Dayton doesn't win the A ten tournament, obviously, or maybe even if they do, is this conference has this conference done enough to where if they things break their way, they could get two or maybe even
2: three bids this year? Oh, hundred percent yeah I think I, I think right now you're looking at a, a, a league that you know you would have to put Dayton in today pretty clearly and then we've talked about Saint Joe's I think the Bonnies are have a path um you know you've got another four five teams in that range George Mason to me stands out as probably the next team if, if you could choose George Mason or Bonaventure as your third um and, again, I'll do a deeper breakdown in a couple of weeks. But I think mm-hmm. going into the conference season, if let's just say we don't know where to draw the line right now. There's just a lot of quality, a really strong middle, and then we kind of know what the bottom looks like, right? That's all we know right now. Yeah. So if league play plays out where, you know, four teams run away from the pack or three teams run away from the pack, you know, it's really hard to envision a scenario where they're going to get more than three. But if three run away from the pack and there are three of the four I just listed – I think they would all they would all have really awesome resumes, and their only losses were to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, it's very rare that any of that happens in, in my experience doing this for a long time in any league. It's that nothing to do with a ten. It's just league play in general is very hard. Yes. You, uh you play a couple games a week. You're usually traveling. You're going in and out. You need to win your home games. Then you got to find a way to win a road game. The A10, like several other leagues, has very difficult places to win. Um, So to go out and expect that is kind of unrealistic, but you never know with injuries and all this roster turmoil going on across the A-10, across the country, a lot of different things could happen this year. And I just think mathematically to get three bids, you know, you might need three teams to run away from the league, at least some sort of divide. Maybe maybe not have to be perfect, of course, but, but be clearly in that top three and then make sure the gap between three and four is clear. Okay. Um, chances are we'll get it. We'll get Dayton in a lot of mud, <laughs> but, but, you know, for the a 10th sake, we can root for a different outcome.
1: All right. As always Rocco, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on with us. It's such great information and it's such a great insight in, into the processes uh, of these things being done. And we've just had such great uh response to, to whenever you've been on with us. So thank you very much for coming on. We here at Rams Rewind believe in shameless self-promotion. So anything you want to promote, uh, social media or otherwise, let, let's let have it.
2: I appreciate all the kind words once again, George. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rockamiller8. I'm out there covering games, doing a lot of different things within the sport, whether it's – And you schedule. were
1: everywhere. You were all over the country. My goodness.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, coming up, um, a, uh, I, I'm actually a Washington guy originally, so – I uh, can't miss the opportunity to go down to the Sugar Bowl and and support my uh, my my squad there playing for the football national championship in the next hopefully two games for them. We'll see how that goes. But they'll also give me a chance to see a couple teams down there like James Madison. So looking forward to that uh, when they play the Cajuns. Um, but, yeah, so in general, always keeping things interesting, always trying to talk about teams and scenarios and players that nobody else is talking about. That's really what I – try to find those untold stories. Um, mm-hmm. But then in general, as gen- January takes off bracket forecasting will always be the core and that will just ramp up over and over again and uh, probably be doing more shows with field of 68 and other outlets. So just follow my Twitter at rock eight would be the best way to find out about that. And we'll also be releasing starting next week um, a lot more game previews. We haven't really done a lot of that in non-conference, but as these league races start to shape, we, we love to dive deep and, uh, do the key games of the week, whether it's for the bubble, for the conference races, or uh, just heavyweights in general, playing for those top one, two, three, and four seeds. So uh, lots lots to come, and looking forward to it.
1: All right, folks, that was Rams Rewind. We'll see you all Saturday, hopefully live in the Good and the Bad and the Ugly group uh, after Gardner Webb. Also, if you like what you hear you want to help us out, shoot us some dinero, we'll shout you out on the pod as always. We appreciate all the support you've given us all year and continue to give us this uh, and continue to give us. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Rocco, as always. And we'll talk to you next time.
0: To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game. And thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.